Karen, one of the most frequent questions that we get is, how do I change job series? It's almost like people are just stuck in whatever position that they're in, and they find a lot of challenge in moving into another job area. Have you seen that happen a lot? Yeah, I've seen that. Well, if that's something that you're interested in learning a little bit more about addressing, this show is for you. Let's go ahead and get started. Hi, everyone. That's Karen. And that's Javier. <laughs> I love doing that to you. <laughs> and together we are the, the Gov Geeks. Geeks. This is Gov Geeks Assemble. Level up your nine to five on 95. We get together every Thursday at six o'clock Eastern to talk a little bit about getting in and getting ahead in government. So, Karen, this week we're talking about how to change your job series. Something that's uh, it's not unique to government, I wouldn't right, think. Basically changing your career path. Yeah, which um, just, you know, to start that off, why would a person want to change their career path? Maybe it's just time for a change. Maybe they're interested in another avenue than when they started in the government, right. um, how they got their foot in the door. Maybe there's been advances in the different types of positions that are even out there that's with technology point. coming up. So lots of reasons, or maybe just the job you are in currently is not affording you the flexibility. So you want to change career paths as you evolve. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's not like we're expected to choose one career path, like when we're 18 years old and then commit to that for the rest of our entire career and our entire lives, right? <laughs> not that I'm aware of. No. Not that you're aware of, no. I mean, really, you're following your passions, your interests, and that's that's the main thing. And what's really cool in government is that there are plenty of positions that are out there. But yes, it can be a bit challenging if you've established a good subject matter expertise, your network, your uh, certifications, your degrees, all of that stuff in one area uh, to then jump into the next one, especially if you have you know, commitments, um, mortgages, all those other things. And so you're trying to figure out, you know, do I need to start my career over again? And can I really afford to do that? Those sorts of challenges that are there. Right. Because many times if you have advanced so far in your current track and you're ready to start a new track, oftentimes you have to kind of start at a lower level. But if that's something you want to do, you just want to think through as far as would you be able to to make it on, let's say, a lower graded salary? And exactly. how fast is that track going to be to get those promotions? Of course. And what's great is that that isn't the only path forward. You don't necessarily have to go back in order to go forward in something that you enjoy. But still, it is definitely a consideration. So we have four strategies to talk about. Uh, Karen, what's the first strategy? So the first one is determine your needs. So what grade level are you looking for? your salary, your location, um, benefits. So you want to determine what your specific needs are as you absolutely change. Your complete absolute um, baseline needs, your requirements that you have. Uh, and this could be a challenge because there could be a ton of positions, but you feel family obligations. And so you need to stay in your local area rather than moving. There could be some financial considerations like you had mentioned just a little while ago. And there's a concern that perhaps uh, you may have to take a lower salary in order to change the areas that you're in. Um, yeah, what are some other needs that a person might have? 
schedule. Oh, so yes, flexibility, absolutely. whether there's telework being offered, whether there's flex schedules, mm -hmm. all of that, which could be, you know, depending on the series that you're going for. Right. Or you could be in shift work, for instance, uh, which would allow you a lot of flexibility to do things at different times throughout the day. And then when you're looking at a more traditional nine to five sort of a job, that might kind of that might kind of create some some challenges uh, to things. But right. No or worries. travel if there travel is a lot of travel required for that position, but mm -hmm. you typically can't do a lot of travel. And that's also something to consider. Or if you want to travel and there are some positions that uh, you get to travel all the time and some people love that, uh, but they feel, well, you know, I'd have to give up something like that in order to get a more stable nine to five mm -hmm. that pays a little bit more. Um, but really, the, at the end of the day, I think the most important thing to do is to figure out for you what is most essential. What is it that you need? What are your requirements? And just because you have a need, that doesn't mean that you are entirely eliminated from all of the options that are available. It just means that you at least know what your needs are. Um, and I think this is important for career management in general, because uh, if you end up making a decision, yes or no, on another job, you can have the peace of mind knowing that you made it based upon a need that you really had. Yeah, so going into it without regrets. Uh, isn't there like a hashtag no regrets or uh, a skateboard sticker? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about the second strategy then. So the second one is to know your target series. So we've talked about this a lot going into the OPM handbook to determine right. what job family you're targeting. And then from there, what series you're looking for. So you want OPM's handbook of occupational series and grades. Yeah, which we can provide the link. Um, so from that, then you would target what you're looking for. And then you could use that to start searching in USA jobs mm -hmm. for that specific type of job series and what the options are, whether they meet your target um, location that you're looking for or not. And so you can identify really what um, what your needs are. Yeah. And, and these are some of the deeper questions that you can ask yourself as a result of knowing the target needs of that target job series. So say, for instance, you have a huge passion for policy and policy review and policy writing. Well, policy needs are needed in a lot of different positions, but a large portion of those policy jobs are actually in the DC area. Mm -hmm. So if again, if that's something that you have a huge passion for, but you have a strong need or commitment to stay where you're located, then that's time for you to ask yourself a deeper question. Do I have the strong enough of a passion to want to move or to be able to move? Uh, and if the answer is yes, then then there you go. But if not, then at least you can say that you made the decision not to pursue that area because of needs that you really uh, want to commit to and, and, and make sure it happen. Right. Or let's say there comes a time when you want to go back home because parents, you want to be able to go there and take care of them. So you can look at based on the location on USA Jobs, what type of job series are typically available in that specific location. And then by looking at that, then do some research, matching it up to the OPM handbook to see, okay, based on that series that seems to be prevalent in that region, what are my options? And you can look through and read the roles and responsibilities, mm -hmm. the typical job descriptions, so you can figure out 
is that something that A, I'm skilled for, and B, something that I would want to do? Exactly. Is that something that you would want to do? Because at least you're, again, making informed decisions at this point. Uh, sometimes we kind of create an idealized view of what the position would be, you know, what it looks like. Um, but if you know specifically the needs of that position, then you could be more informed about whether or not it's actually a good opportunity for you. Uh, I mean, it's not like what we see a lot of times in television shows. Uh, I mean, like this whole day idea about uh, television shows like Bones, for instance, uh, and you're thinking that uh, this really scientific research that's done to solve crimes and everything is done in a month. Mm. <laughs> you know, you're just there and you break the case and you solve this, you know, a thousand year old mystery or something. Not to mention there was no way that that was remotely filmed in D.C. <laughs> as far as you can tell from where they traveled and. It just was clearly green screen. But. Karen and I thought for the longest time it would be cool to kind of uh, do commentary on a lot of the shows that are taking place in D.C. to be like, yeah, that building is not there or this really isn't there. or That's not really how that it happens. It doesn't take five minutes to walk from that building to <laughs> that building. There's no way. There's no way. It's across the bridge. Exactly. Forget, forget it. It's just, it's pretty funny. So yeah, the reality is a little bit different than what you would have seen or portrayed, um, but it doesn't necessarily make for great television, which is uh, another, another reason altogether. Yeah. yeah. We still binge watch the show regardless. Of oh, that, of but. course. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> but you know, strategy one, it's all about focusing in on yourself. Like what are the things that you need? And then the next steps are about understanding, well, what is it that the needs are of where you're trying to go to. When you say, I want to go to there, what does it mean to want to go to there? Right. What, you could either have you could either have a specific location that you're really aiming for or a specific type of job or career track that you're looking to get into. So, but either way you need to do some research to see what's out there. Right. Cause the otherwise you just you just wouldn't know. But now that you have that, those two pieces together, now you can kind of bring them together, which is our third strategy. Third strategy, which is conducting a gap analysis. Right. Wait, so wait a minute. What is a gap analysis? What's missing? Where's right. the beef? <laughs> Where's the beef? Oh, I love those commercials. Good stuff. We might be dating ourselves with that one. Um, but yeah, exactly. Because if you're thinking this is what you need to have and this is what you do have, well, what is it that that fits? You may realize that there are tons of great overlap that you have. There may be some things that perhaps you need to grow in a little bit more, but you know that's okay, at least this way you know. Um, and also when you're looking at OPM and strategy number two, and you're looking at USA Jobs, you're also looking for the grade level for that type of work, and then looking at the type of work responsibilities that are there. So this way you can reasonably be assured that you have the types of experiences and the skill sets that are needed to do that type of job when you're doing your gap analysis. So conducting a gap analysis can give you a better sense of what you're really needing, what you already have, and what are some strengths that you can kind of play to. Um, you know, oftentimes when we're speaking with clients, they don't realize all of the different capabilities that they have already. They may have this like lofty idea about what it is that they need to do, but then they kind of step back and they think, I don't think that I have those qualifications or I don't have that type of an experience. But once you begin to scratch the surface and you look really holistically at the experiences that we've had just in a, in a bigger sense, you realize really 
that a lot of those experiences and skills are there. Yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of like scratching the surface to kind of find what's underneath, almost like the uh, lottery ticket. Okay, so Karen, what's the, the next and the last strategy? So the last strategy is leverage your strengths. So your resume, your network, um, your volunteer experience, any details that you've taken. So all of that, again, the holistic approach mm -hmm. to see what you have that you can apply for a career change. And these are areas, uh, if you don't have a whole lot of experience in, that those are opportunities to really grow in. I mean, if you're rewriting your resume, you need to make sure that you're writing it with the intent of applying to that one specific position. So knowing your target job series, the resume should be targeted entirely to that one. Look backwards at your career and identify where you have done that type of work, where those skills really came about, and then write to that in the resume. So it's not like you have a full set of a whole like career experiences doing one thing, and then you just do an entire 180 at the very end. No, I mean, odds are you've had those experiences before. So speak to that, write to that in your resume, have it all included. And I guess what would you recommend as far as how far back should I go? Because if I'm mm -hmm. fairly senior in my career and I'm trying to switch gears, and if there's some experience that I had maybe 10 plus years ago, can I apply that type of experience to try to get into this next field? So uh, how far back should you go? The resume should go as far back as you can. And you can create a separate section towards the end of your resume, just uh, labeling it as uh, other uh, select experiences. So this way you're accounting for all of the years that you've had. Just be truthful and put in the information that you've had. You don't have to go into a lot of descriptions. They're not going to say, you know, show me that report you worked on 30 years ago. I mean, <laughs> no, it doesn't need to be like that. Um, but then to the, the latter part of your question, going back in terms of writing more descriptive work, should be 10 years. Um, 52 weeks is the magic number that you need to have in order to be qualified for that next graded position. So say you're a GS-14 in one job series, but you want to be a GS-14 in another job series. So what you need to do is to show that for at least 52 weeks, you have had those types of experiences at a GS-13 level in that other job series. So In aggregate or consecutively? Oh, no, this is just uh, in, in aggregate, really. Yeah, make, make sure that you're showing the 52 weeks. But odds are uh, you have had those 52 weeks in your current position and perhaps even in the previous one. It's all about using the right buzzwords and information that you find on USA Jobs, as well as in the OPM handbook, and write to those requirements so that that information. I'll give you a great example for myself. I had the opportunity during my career to go from a 0343, which is a management and program analyst, to a 0501, which the 500 series is a financial management series. So what I did is I rewrote my resume towards the requirements of the 500 series and just demonstrated that I had those work experiences. And the cool thing is that, I mean, all of it was true. I actually did have all of those qualifying experiences. Yeah, so you can definitely do the same thing. Yeah, uh, so some of the other strategies are about um, volunteering. So Karen, I'm curious, what are some places that people can volunteer in to demonstrate that they have those 
experiences or those skills in that area? Associations, mm -hmm. so various professional associations. You could volunteer on the board, um, on committees, things like that, where they typically have a lot of, you know, experiences that um, entail budgeting many times, right. um, project communications, management. project management. So in those types of areas, you can get a lot of experience. Yeah, definitely. So as part of that gap analysis, if you're finding, okay, there's a couple of areas that I need to do a little bit more work in, well, hey, that's a perfect area that you can uh, establish a little bit more competency around and find the areas that are really looking forward to people volunteering to do those, those types of things. Yeah, um, local service uh, opportunities as well at your uh, your church or your local um, your local societies, <laughs> uh, your neighborhood watch, uh, your or your local civics association. There's plenty of options that you can consider. All right, so are all of those the uh, the ones that we had? Those are all four. Nice. Okay, so Karen, this brings us to our questions from the GovGeekdom. Please feel free to come out to the GovGeeks.com. Um, you can submit questions directly there to us. We're happy to have sidebar conversations with you. And also, a lot of these questions, if you want to be asked here or answered here on our weekly show, we're happy to do that as well. Uh, so Karen, I think we have two questions this week. What's the first one? So the first question is, what are the signs of an unappreciative boss? Yeah, I guess there might be a couple of signs. Um, I saw the sign. Is that like the Ace of Base, of base. That's perfect. Uh, well, you know, more often than not, uh, we have the chance to work with clients because of an unappreciative boss. Or a boss, boss that seems to be Exactly. Yeah, it, it could be both. And that, that's just not uh, career management in terms of like, how do I develop my resume so I can get out of here because of this boss? But it could also be, well, what are the ways that I can manage this work relationship with my supervisor that's causing me all of this angst and all of that as right. well? Right. I think it's very important to manage that relationship because we talk about it a lot, not to burn bridges, especially in the DC area, your paths may cross once again. So all it's just the important time. to, and it's important in general, but as a career strategy, you definitely want to make sure that you are managing that relationship and dealing with it in a professional manner. True. Uh, and I think that goes for really all of the professional relationships that we have, because you just never know somewhere along the road, there might be another opportunity or there might be something. And then because of how you made that other person feel that one day and they just are kind of like, yeah, yeah or, or you cut them on a bad day. Or you or, caught them on a bad day. Yeah. I think this one probably, you know, should result in a, in a full show because there are a lot of, of things to, to touch on with this because there's Agreed. just, there's a lot, whether do you have a micromanaging boss that doesn't, that doesn't seem to appreciate you. Maybe they speak a different language than you, their currency is different. So all of those types of things that could make it seem like they don't appreciate you, but is that truly the case? Yeah. And perhaps those are some of the questions really to kind of ask yourself about signs of an unappreciative boss. Um, perhaps there are some bigger things like my boss has always taken credit for my work or my boss uh, doesn't really respect boundaries. You know, like uh, you could be off on vacation and you've really worked hard. You re ha really have this time that you need to spend with family, friends or medical reasons, for instance. And then the boss is always trying to contact you anyways 
emailing, sending you assignments, last minute requests and everything. And they figure, oh, you know, well, this person's going to do it. They've done it before. So I might as well just, you know, again, send it their way for them to do, um, which maybe the boss just doesn't know any better. Uh, and maybe because of how they come across as perhaps a little bit more gruff or unapproachable, they never really realize the impact of what they're doing. <laughs> and they're, or uh, they can be working in an organization where there are just so many people that are wanting to get in that they're willing to just burn through people. A person comes in, bam, they're out. Here comes the next person. They just do the same thing over and over again. And there's a plethora of people waiting to have their chance to take that opportunity on. Just like in the, the Devil Wears Prada. That's a perfect example. <laughs> Do you know how many people would love to be where you're at? Yeah, I think exactly. That was a Stanley Tucci. Stanley Tucci um, character there, but uh, and that that's a great point as well. But just because there are a lot of options to find a backfill, well, that doesn't necessarily mean that the person has carte blanche authority to just treat people badly, right? And maybe they just don't know. They may not realize it, like you said. They may not realize how their actions are coming across. So it's important that you provide that feedback. Feedback is just incredibly important because mm -hmm. especially as you get higher in the org chart, people are afraid to give you honest feedback. feedback. Absolutely. And that's why it's also lonely at the top. That's definitely something that that's always said. I, I mean, if you think about the pyramid of, you know, 15 and SES being at the top and the GS scale goes down, there are more GS fives and sevens than there are 15s, 14s and SESs. And so when you're up there as like a division director, a branch chief, an office director, um, it's a little harder to have, uh, you know, a lunchroom conversation with peers if there are so few of the peers. Uh, all around. And then you throw on top of that, you know, if they're really busy and they decide not to ever take a lunch <laughs> or to never connect with people. And so they're just kind of like, you know, thinking that they're being productive, but actually they're burning bridges left and right and breaking spirits all along the way. <laughs> Leaving destruction in their wake. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think maybe one of the bigger things to ask yourself also is uh, just recognizing how you feel about certain things. So if, for instance, the boss reaches out and says, you know, I need you to do this, or this was really unacceptable, or, you know, here's the issues and, you know, really kind of basically laying into you. Um, well, ask yourself, well, why is it that that bothers you so much? What are the things about that, what that person said that made you feel the way that you're feeling? Or even just acknowledge how you feel in that moment. Do you feel frustrated? Do you feel upset, angry? Do you feel embarrassed? Um, and that's okay. I mean, at least this way you are coming to grips with how you are feeling about that. And then you can take the next steps to address it, which is something different entirely. Right. Which the next step could be our second question. Mm, which here we is, go. That's, a, that's an awesome segue. <laughs> yeah. Awesome segue to our second question, which is how long do I wait <laughs> before leaving a job? How long do I wait before getting out of here? So yeah, that is a perfect segue. Uh, I mean, because sometimes you may realize, oh my gosh, what have I done? I mean, wh what I've show is that? A huge mistake, as Job would say. <laughs> as Job would say in the Arrested Development. Um, yeah, uh, and it, it's possible. Now, I guess that is a bigger question to ask yourself. When is the best time to really kind of walk away? And really, I guess bigger question is, uh, well, it depends. Or the bigger answer is it depends. It depends. And I think this is where political savvy comes into play. 
because you don't want to just be like, oh, forget it. I'm gone, you know, and just leave without mm -hmm. having any, you know, succession planning in place, without giving proper notice. Because again, burning bridges. If you want to try to get another position and lo and behold, for some reason, the person that you left kind of high and dry is the person that's making the decision. And they remember, oh, no, you know, Javier just kind of left me, you know, without any notice. Mm -hmm. And all his projects were just left hanging. I had to figure out what to do. Mm -hmm. So there's no way because I want to hire him now. the work still needs to get done. Exactly. And so they might think, oh, gosh, now how is it that I can possibly manage throughout all of this stuff? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's real considerations to, to come into play because then you can ask yourself, well, what is the pattern that I'm demonstrating? Has this been like a once uh, action that in the past 30 years where you left something before the full year has passed? Um, is this an earlier part of your career? Um, and you really need to establish longevity in certain areas or field areas or expertise. Perhaps it's a new job series that you're in and you need to have those 52 weeks underneath that job series in order to be able to apply for other jobs uh, with those 52 weeks there established. Um, again, those whole burning bridges, uh, what is the, the best way to, to exit or, or to leave? Um, you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, I've known people who have gone on details, for instance, uh, short term assignments, no more than like three months. Uh, and then they walk like within the first, you know, week or so, and they go back to whatever, you know, organization that they were from previously. And then later on, it comes up where, you know, hey, there's this job opportunity. And they're like, oh, yeah, I remember this person who did this thing. And that happened. And the hiring manager is like, wow, you know, okay, I appreciate you telling me because, you know, I had understood this or that, but they, that, that person is just a name on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. uh, when you take uh, another person's word who you've built trust and a rapport with, well, that might be another person who um, has more sway and influence. Uh, and the other person may never even know <laughs> about any of that stuff because, you know, th that's how they left things later on. It says a lot about character too, right? It really does. And it really says a lot to how your reputation precedes you. Reputation is definitely important. Like, like how Karen was mentioning, DC and government in general, it can be a really small circle. I mean, people know people, uh, people have a chance to connect and have conversations. And it's just a really funny, small world. Uh, I think we were talking the other day about people applying and, mm -hmm. oh, I yeah. the hiring manager and try to contact them. And <laughs> yes. Just like out of nowhere, really. It's like, oh, hey, by the way, did you hear of this applicant or, oh, hey, this position is open. I don't know if you knew. Uh, yeah, it's, it's totally a small world. And that reputation really makes a, a big difference. It does. Well, you know, I, I think that there's more here that we should dedicate to a, a longer session. Maybe we can talk about it next week. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But absolutely. Well, that is our show for this week. Um, we get together again every Thursday at six o'clock Eastern. We go live on LinkedIn as well as on Facebook and on YouTube. We have our premiere video. So we're happy to share that with you guys there on that platform as well. We're super excited about all of that stuff. Uh, this week, we've been talking about how to change a job series and a little bit about how to manage expectations on 
on-job performance and all of that. So, uh, Karen, every week you have a phenomenal input to, to offer at the moment of clarity, if you will. Uh, what is your, your parting thought on the subject? I don't know about that, but all I would say is before you change your job series, do that research, do the gap analysis, identify what you truly need and what you're trying to accomplish by changing your careers and see if the benefits outweigh the not so benefit. Definitely. <laughs> so um, you just want to weigh those pros and cons to see if you do want to change your career midstream. Very, very good advice. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you all for being here. We appreciate your time. Thank you for your service. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you.